And we are in a sermon series called Le- Church, and we are in a sermon series called Lessons from Lockdown, and we've been going through the book that we call Philippians, actually a thank you letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing in chains from a really brutal prison in the ancient world. He was a political prisoner, which meant he was changed, chained physically to a praetorium guard. These are the worst type of guards to be chained to. They're something like the Uh, equivalent of the ancient world's Roman special forces sworn to protect the emperor and part of their pastime was to kind of torture and give a hard time political prisoners like Paul who are on death row. Ancient prisons are so bad in fact that you die of starvation a lot of times because they they kind of forget to provide the basics you know food they don't feed you so your friends and your family have to find a way to get food to you. The church that Paul planted years earlier primarily made up of combat veterans from the Roman War that is located in the city of Philippi. That church has been faithful to Paul to keep him alive, to send a runner, to give him food, to sustain him. And he's writing this letter from a real miserable lockdown situation, but it's jam-packed full of joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. And, And in this letter, this short letter that is the happiest letter Ironically, in the New Testament, we're looking each week this summer to find a lesson from lockdown. Today's message really could be summed in a question. Have you ever had this thought, I'd rather have blank? I'd rather have blank. You'd rather have what? Kids are great at this question. You know, you give them a cereal. And then they're like, you know, I'd rather have the other cereal, the one that my brother has that we're fresh out of all of a sudden. Um, But adults, we carry this into adulthood. We're just a little clever at hiding the I'd rather have. Think of real estate. You were so happy when you bought that home. And then you walked in your friend's home and you looked at their 10-foot ceilings and you didn't have 10-foot ceilings. And then you went into another room and it had a 14-foot ceiling and you're thinking... I feel claustrophobic in my own home. I'd rather have their ceilings. We, we fall into this comparison trap all the time. I'd rather have that motorcycle, that boat. I'd rather have that degree. I'd rather have that spouse. I'd rather have this life. I'd rather have this physical appearance than that physical appearance. I'd rather have this food than that. Minnesotans, can you relate to weather? I'd rather have whatever weather I'm currently not experiencing. We're really good at that, right? I mean, have you, I've found myself doing this, you know? Right now, it's pretty, pretty nice. Uh, what are we at? 68, 69 degrees, low humidity, nice breeze. You would think we would just be happy and content with this, but every once in a while, Minnesotans, we, we fall on a day like this, and we'd go, you know, I wish we had more days like this. I'd rather have a climate that had more days like this. Or... It's getting kind of sunny out. I'd rather have sweater weather. I'd rather have winter, but not prolonged winter, just this type of winter. We're I'd rather have type of people. And the Apostle Paul is writing in chapter 3, that's where we're going today, and he's explaining how he's beaten this idea of I'd rather have. He's found a level of contentment. The context is this. He's writing to these uh, church members in Philippi, And some of them are starting to do a really weird thing. They're saying, I'd rather actually be Jewish than be followers of Christ. Why would they say that? Jews, after all, have been persecuted in most of the empires that they have lived in. 
Well, you see, the Jews in the Roman Empire have worked a deal with the Roman leaders, and they have a certain level of autonomy to practice their religious tradition, and they have an arrangement in place, whereas the followers of Christ are seen as kind of a, a wild new sectarian revolution. And so now Rome is putting the pressure on anyone who identifies as a follower of Christ. There is persecution happening. It might not be so safe to be a business person if you're a follower of Christ. Your kids might be treated differently if you're a follower of Christ. Life might get difficult. You might even find yourself like the Apostle Paul in prison for proclaiming that there is one name above all names, that Jesus Christ isn't just a good guy. He's God in the flesh coming after us, dying in our place, and we will be with him on the other side of death. If you believe that and live that out, all of a sudden life gets hot for you. Life gets uncomfortable. And so these very brave combat veterans in Philippi are all of a sudden experiencing a gut check and some of them are saying, you know, why don't we act a little more Jewish here? Because they seem to have a level of protection and the Jewish leaders are are quick to say, yeah, come, kind of come to our team. And here's the problem that they're facing. The entrance to be a Jewish convert is circumcision. For anyone who doesn't know what circumcision is, you know, usually this happens in infancy, not in adulthood. I mean, I mean, if you really want to join a club and there's a cost and there's dues and it's physical and there's skin that that gets chopped off, they're, they're actually more afraid of Roman persecution than potentially going through this ritual. And, and they're starting to get confused about really the whole message, the idea that a Jew named Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be the Jewish Messiah, and, and they have expressed trust in this Jewish Messiah. And this Jewish Messiah didn't just come for the Jews, he came for everybody, including the Jews, and they're getting, they're getting to a point where they're saying, I would rather have security than, than faithfulness to Christ. I really would. I'd rather have a life of comfort than a life doing the right thing according to my convictions, according to what I really believe in my heart. Anybody relate to that? I'm a, I'm a creature of comfort. Uh, my wife and I um, just experienced our 15th wedding anniversary uh, on the 15th, so our golden anniversary. And we just got back uh, last night from Bayfield, Wisconsin. We went kayaking, and we um, stopped every uh, you know, hour and a half and hiked in a national park. You know, I married a very active woman, so you know, when we went on our honeymoon, we went to Colorado and we did outdoor stuff, not, not the beach vacation where you just lay, lay on the beach and just enjoy yourself. And so we uh, basically got in a tandem sea kayak on Lake Superior and the guide says, good news, this is the third windiest day that I've ever been out on the lake. So it should be really fun, like class three rapids. So <laughs> I'm really sore right now. And I found myself paddling and I enjoy that too, but I was thinking, you know, I'd rather have a calm day, especially when you're in those arches where you're wondering if the waves are going to kind of break your kayak. And and then I I found myself one night, and we had a good trip, but but I'm just kind of giving you the low lights. I found myself one night with a tornado touching down several nights ago in Bayfield, and the siren's going off. We're in a little Airbnb way up on a hill overlooking the harbor, and I'm laying awake. I'd rather have 
a little less exposed of a studio Airbnb than the one right on top of the hill. It had a great view, but the, I assume the tornado is not going not gonna, to um, fare well up here. And, and then on our way home after we did some state parks, we stopped and we got the tour of the Glensheen Mansion. Anyone had this tour in Duluth? It's just, what an amazing mansion. If you get the chance and you're in Duluth, go, go take the tour. It's wonderful. And as we walked through something like 39 rooms and this lavish mansion, you could just hear other people underneath their masks, socially distancing on this tool, on this tour, saying essentially, I'd rather have this. Whoa, look at that view. And I thought to myself, this guy, uh, Mr. Condon, who built this, um, he had eight years in that mansion, eight years. He died in 1916, eight years to enjoy at the time would have been the equivalent of a $21 million home right on Lake Superior. And, and here we are, 100 years later plus, walking around saying, I'd rather have that. I'd rather have that. So this lesson from lockdown is twofold. It's going to help us, I believe, to stand by our convictions because that's the es essence of what Paul is writing to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 1. And it's going to help us really get to the root of the I'd rather have problem. I'm reading from uh, the third chapter in this letter, starting at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. This is a good little parenting lesson, by the way. Repetition is not a bad thing, and we all need things to be repeated. Presumably, he taught them these things while he was with them planting the church years ago. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Why did he call some group of Jewish um, leaders dogs? That seems kind of harsh. Well, in the ancient world, Jews oftentimes would unfortunately refer to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, as dogs because they didn't adhere to the cleanliness rules and the purification rules that were given uh, in the Torah. And dogs in the ancient world are not cute. There's not like golden retrievers and labs. They're, they're mangy and they have disease and they're still like that today in developing countries. And so Paul, if you, if you speak the Greek here, if you understand the, the language, he's doing a word play. He's being sarcastic. He's saying they're kind of dogs and choppers is the, the um, wooden translation. He's, he's saying they're actually the very thing they're claiming others are. And it's because they're insisting on a level of religious confidence instead of confidence in the actual Messiah who has come for them. Now we have to be careful with this uh, because Paul, remind ourselves, is a Jew. And he goes on to give his Jewish credentials. This scripture has been used in an anti-Semitic way in the past. So we, we need to, as a Christian church, repent for that and read it in the context in which Paul is writing. Paul, a Jewish leader, convinced that the Jewish Messiah, Jesus has come, is coming against other Jewish leaders saying they're profoundly confused and he's using some sarcasm. That's the context. So then verse 4, 
though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So he just lays out his resume, his spiritual resume. He's saying, Philippians, don't lose the the plot here. Don't make life about, I'd rather have protection and religious accomplishment to feel good in my standing with God and to feel safe in my life. He said, if, if that's what life was about, if that's what made you righteous in the eyes of God and safe in the eyes of men, I have all of that and I could return to that in a minute. And, and, and Paul's saying, basically, I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot closer to it than you are by your own definition. And he just goes down the list. It's as if he's attacking, a modern day example would be if he were attacking academics and saying, I graduated MIT at 16, Harvard undergrad, at 20, I have advanced degrees in Boston and uh, Cambridge, and I also was published earlier than any of you, and I've got PhDs in three different subjects. If that was what life was all about, I would cling to that, but that's not what life is all about. So he lays out this really, really impressive list of accomplishments, and then he builds it up and he does something scandalous. And it's so scandalous, it really bothered a lot of British uh, language scholars as they were interpreting this hundreds of years ago. Let's keep rolling here. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Okay, so he's saying all those religious accomplishments, they're not bad things. They're good things. That's profitable. They have their place. But now in light of a relationship with Jesus, I consider them loss, just not worth that much. But then he goes on. He says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, that is by faith. Rubbish. Let's just talk about that word. You know, have you met a lot of British people? People from England? They're very proper. I like them. I feel like they sound better when they, when they speak. Uh, one, of, one of the pastors the, in Hosanna Church growing up had an English accent. And every time Pastor Derek would speak, It didn't even matter if the content was good or not. It was like everything he said just sounded really insightful. I remember that as a kid. Americans, we feel that way. And and there's a certain uh, propriety about the British culture. And so when they're translating the New Testament, Paul actually has some moments where he gets very passionate and he uses language that would not be acceptable in 16th, 17th, 18th century Bible translation, proper British society. So in the NIV, we get the word rubbish there. He said, all that religious accomplishment that's really impressive to you that I could cling to and I could look to for security in the eyes of men and good standing in the eyes of God, I consider it a loss. No, actually, even more than a loss, I consider it skubala. That's the Greek word that he uses. 
And there was one British translator who took that word and he, he knew what it meant and he just couldn't go there. He just couldn't translate that into English. So he, he did some really creative cartwheels exegetically. That means to pull the meaning out of the text and rightly translate it. He said, maybe we can soften it and call it rubbish. Because rubbish has kind of a proper sounding word, right? Scubala doesn't mean rubbish. It means excrement. It means poop. It, it does. That's what the Apostle Paul says. I mean, let's just sit on that for a minute. The Apostle Paul says, I get it. The temptation is to look to your own religious accomplishment to have right standing in the eyes of God, but that's all a bunch of fill in the blank. And I'm not, I'm not going to use the full word here because, because there's little ears, and, and, you know, that's awkward on the drive home, you know. But the pastor said it. So, so you're welcome, Mom and Dad, but, but, but come on, go there. He said, all that stuff, that's a bunch of, that's a bunch of horse. That's what it is compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Now you have to look at the life of Apostle, the Apostle Paul and wonder, this guy's got everything going for him as far as, you know, if you're going to be a Jew living in Roman occupation, you might as well have the best education, come from the best tribe, have all the pedigrees, have everybody respect you and think you're the coolest. And in his zeal, he's even stomping out all the people who are starting a, a little sectarian movement who claim that the Messiah has come. He goes, no, the Messiah hasn't come. I'm going to persecute them. And everyone's cheering for Paul. He had a bright future. He could have gone anywhere he wanted to. He could have become the high priest, possibly. And he built this tower and he jumped off it. And now he's starting churches all over the world in the name of this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, He's in chains. He's being tortured, chained to the ancient equivalent of the special forces, and he's writing to the church that's keeping him alive while he's on death row, and he said, don't compromise. Here's the lesson from lockdown. Don't prize your own security and your own comfort and your own need to feel good from a religious sense to, to walk out on the one thing that matters more in life than anything else, and that would be a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, with the God who made you, with your Savior. He said, all the good stuff, and it is good, it's all lost. No, actually, even more so, it's all a bunch of, that's what it is. I mean, can you imagine? In the ancient world, they would read these letters. So they're all huddled around like this, and they're like, okay, good point. Yeah, yep, you did say that, Paul. We probably shouldn't put all of our focus on religious accomplishment. We are kind of acting a little more Jewish than, than, than we really are because we're trying to get safety from Rome and turn the heat down. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, you do have all those accomplishments. That's that is really impressive. I never really thought about that. You could cling to all those accomplishments. And yeah, I suppose it is lost. And it's a bunch of, what? It really would have stopped everybody. The guy reading the scroll would have been like, uh, maybe that's a typo, no? That's not a typo. There's no ancient whiteout. That's what he said. And that's what he means. If you're taking notes, religious accomplishments are nothing compared to knowing Jesus. 
and you could even substitute comfort and security and the applause of human beings or anything that you'd rather have is nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ, really knowing him. Now, as I preach this, I preach this to myself as much as anybody else. Because in this world, knowing Jesus Christ will look different than knowing Jesus Christ in the world to come. The Apostle Paul elsewhere will write, right now it's kind of like looking through a glass darkly. He's referring to an ancient mirror. They didn't perfect the technology of mirrors in the ancient world. So it was something like looking into a really shiny piece of tin. You can kind of see who you are, but you're a little bit distorted. Um, You know, if you try to shave with that ancient world mirror, you know, you might lose a nose or something like that. That's why they all had beards. And he said, right now, our relationship with Christ, we can see him, but, but it's a little distorted. There's mystery. It's like looking into our ancient mirrors. But one day, we're going to see him face to face. And though we can't fully see him now, we do love him and we know him and we recognize him. But one day, we will know him as he fully knows us now. And he says, even on this side of eternity, anything you might want to go after that your heart might fix itself to, fame, fortune, sexual pleasure, the applause or acclaim of people, a second, third, vacation, property, a better boat, a better truck, a better car, a better dress, a better dress size, a better pair of sunglasses, whatever it is, it's kind of a bunch of crap compared to the one thing that your heart has always longed for. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He said, if you consistently find that your heart longs for something that it can't find, maybe the best conclusion is that you were made for another world. And then he goes on to say, I'm talking about the best vacations, the best spouse, the best career. I'm not talking about the worst disappointing versions of all the things that we try to make ourselves happy with. He's, he goes on and he says, I'm talking about the very best versions of all that. And now think about that. Do a little inventory. I just came back from vacation. It was actually a really good vacation. I totally married up. I love the woman I married. We have a really good marriage all in all, and we had really good weather except for that one tornado scare in the middle of the night, and we saw beautiful scenery. It's a really good balance of conversation and just, you know, being together in silence, enjoying nature and going out to eat. You know, it was pretty ideal, and yet on the drive home, there was this reality. We weren't complaining, but it's just we both know even when the the trip is perfect, it's never perfect. This is why at the end of even a good vacation, don't you start thinking about the next one? Don't you start talking about, this was fun, but wouldn't it be even better to go here next time or to do this? Don't you start critiquing it a little bit? What is that thing that you told your heart, if I only have that, then I'll be happy? Does something come to mind? Jim Carrey is kind of famous lately because he's gone a little insane. And uh, people have done documentaries on this guy and he's really, really kind of lost it. But, but I do also think the reason he's lost it is because he's 
achieved everything he set out for. And he has this wonderful quote. He said, I wish everybody could have every one of their dreams come true, become rich and famous and adored by everyone they ever met to know that it doesn't satisfy them. And on the other side of all of his dreams coming true and becoming rich and famous beyond anybody's wildest dreams, he entered into a prolonged, never-ending, deep, dark depression and to a point of despair where he, he confessed that he almost took his life and that he's barely hanging on. It would seem, my friends, that we're made for another world. What is this lesson from lockdown today? It is simply this. Whether you know it or not, you'd rather have Jesus than whatever you're pursuing right now. Whether I know it or not, I would rather have Jesus than whatever I tell myself I want. Now think about that. There's an old hymn that puts it this way. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. That's the first line. We say that that's true, but now think about it. What if I could give you $20 million right now? Does that excite your heart a little bit? And it's not wrong if it does, because you could do a lot of good with that. And you could pay off debt, and you could bless other people, and you could buy that thing that you always wanted to buy, and wouldn't it be fun, and wouldn't that be great? But if your heart gets more excited at the thought of $20 million, you haven't walked through the Glensheen Mansion enough. And you haven't realized that that guy enjoyed that $21 million mansion for eight years, and then death came for him, and what? And it's very likely, very likely that after spending the equivalent of $21 million on that mansion, he walked through rooms and he noticed, you know, this isn't exactly how I wanted it. It didn't quite turn out. That darn designer, he said I'd be happy if my smoking room looked like this, but the smoking room really should have been over here because the draft bothers one of my eight children. And what about this view? It's not perfectly symmetrical. And who knew Lake Superior, beautiful as it is, is really cold all the time. I'd rather have something else. But what would you rather have, Chester? There's not much more you can get, at least in 1816 or 1916. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Why is our church so generous, people will ask me sometimes, other pastors will literally ask me, what's, what's the f- magic formula? You guys are out of debt. And you always seem to be doing well financially. I said, I don't know. We just, we just talk a lot about how Jesus is what we would rather have. Even if we don't know that or don't feel that at the moment, we remind ourselves we'd rather have Jesus. I think that's the best way to raise money because when we'd rather have Jesus, we actually admit that there's no amount of money that would ever satisfy our hearts like Jesus would satisfy our hearts, and we become more generous people. The, the hymn continues, I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Think about this. Your rich relative passed away that you didn't know very well. Don't worry, it's not a letter from Kenya. This is real, and you're going to get 50 acres in beautiful western Montana. It is the the most ideal land. It's all yours. You could sell it or you could develop it, but it's all yours. Doesn't your heart rise up and think, well, that's cool. What Paul is saying from chains is, 
it's not wrong to think that stuff is cool, but compared to one thing in the universe, it's all lost. No, actually, it's all a bunch of... Because the one thing that will satisfy, the one thing that will stop the I'd rather have machine that whirs on in your heart over and over in your sleep and in your waking hours is discovering a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. Think about that imagery, led by his nail-pierced hand. One day, you will meet your Savior face to face and he'll still have the scars and it will remind you and it will remind me that sin is so serious. Rebellion against the God who created us is such a serious matter that God in the flesh had to die a torturous death to take care of that. And there will be this deep reverent sense of, I'm so sorry. And yet at the same time, his touch and his hand will lead you in such a way where you feel completely loved and accepted that all is well in the universe and all the things that you tried to cram into your heart, the the vacations, the relationships, the pleasures, the accomplishments, the, the pursuit of fame, the physical health, the physical appearance, all of that stuff that never satisfied, or if it satisfied, it satisfied for such a short, disappointing time, all of it will be like a shadow and you'll experience perfect contentment. That's the claim that Paul is making and that's the only thing that makes sense of his joy in prison. And so I leave us with this thought. What if this is true, Mercy wrote? What if this is true, skeptic, who I love that you come and you you think we're crazy? Keep coming, keep asking questions. What if it's true and what if your experience of constant letdown over the I'd rather have points to the, to the case that it is true. If it's true that we were made for a deep and satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ and everything else is lost by comparison, are there some implied actions involved in our life? My friend Tom and I write these sermons together. Tom pastors a church in Southern California called Coast Bible Church and He's really having a tough time because they have to wear masks in church and it's just, it's just very difficult. And Tom and I were talking and he said, if this text is true, then, then it doesn't matter actually. Then COVID doesn't ultimately matter. Then all the suffering and all the restriction and all the pain and all the uncertainty and all the lack of control and we can't enjoy the things we used to enjoy, I guess it really doesn't matter because if anything, it just highlights the fact that Deep, deep down, I'd rather have something better than a return to normal or better than COVID being gone or better than the freedoms I used to enjoy. Deep, deep down, I want something more than certain health. Deep down, I want a relationship with Jesus that's vibrant. Now, if we don't have that, and there have been seasons in my life where I have had that much less than others, what would be the implied action? Do you have relationships with other human beings that are so much more vibrant than your relationship with Jesus Christ? It's laughable. If that's the case, it's not wrong to have a relationship with that person. But wouldn't it make sense in light of the fact that this is true, that you should invest more time with Jesus? Wouldn't it be interesting? My wife wears a little Fitbit all the time or an Apple Watch, so it always measures all the steps we take, which I kind of don't like. It makes me tired prematurely because it's like we've taken how many steps 
What if you had a little Apple Watch that was spiritual and it logged in every minute you actually talked to God during COVID-19? How many minutes do you think you'd have? I don't say that in a condemning way. It's just a really good question. If ultimately every human being would rather have Jesus if they really know who Jesus was, and we who claim to follow Jesus are logging a good solid six and a half minutes since COVID started, what would we really rather have? Now, the good news is that doesn't mean God condemns you or you're not forgiven or you won't be with him in eternity, but it does mean that you're going to feel a, a sense of embarrassment or at the very least, what was I thinking? <laughs> there have been seasons in my life where I have spent more time thinking about creative ways to organize my garage than to pursue the one relationship that my soul was made for. I just have to admit that. And there certainly have been seasons of suffering where I've spent quadruple the amount of time complaining or just fretting over what's gonna happen or what if this happens than I have pursuing an intimate relationship with God, talking to him, reading the scripture, asking him to refine me, asking him to remind me what he thinks of me. Friends, we'd rather have Jesus, so let's pursue him. God, thank you for this lesson from lockdown today. It's kind of a fiery one. And, and I thank you that you have a sense of humor and that you're not so proper and concerned with outward appearance that, that you're above raising someone up like the Apostle Paul who could write from prison, I'd rather have Jesus. In fact, all the good stuff, all the profit, it's loss. No, it's even more than loss. It's a bunch of... Lord, help that to remind our hearts this week and today. Help us to pursue you. Help us to talk to you. We look forward to the day where we'll see you face to face and we'll realize fully and finally you, you alone, who spoke us into being, who are at the same time the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer of our lives, you and a relationship with you, an intimate one, that's what our hearts are truly longing for. Forgive us for turning to idols, good things that we've made ultimate things. Help us to work together in community in this season to live out the simple truth. We would rather have you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. <laughs>